0: THE HOLY GOSPEL OF THE LORD, JESUS CHRIST, ACCORDING TO MATTHEW. IN THOSE DAYS, JOHN THE BAPTIST APPEARED IN THE WILDERNESS OF JUDEA, PROCLAIMING, REPENT, FOR THE KINGDOM OF HEAVEN HAS COME NEAR. THIS IS THE ONE OF WHOM THE PROPHET ISAIAH SPOKE WHEN HE SAID, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestors. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals he will baptize you with holy spirit and fire his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire the gospel of the lord Praise to you.
1: of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Every time I preach about John the Baptist at this time of year, because it happens every year in Advent, especially with this passage in Matthew, I think about two things— How do we square The anticipation of Christmas joy that the world is all gearing up for, all the decorations and the travel plans and the decision of when to put up the tree and, you know, what we're going to do for the parties that we're going to have and all of that stuff. How do we square all of this joyful anticipation with the gospel readings that come in Advent that aren't all that joyful and cozy? I have a friend, a very dear friend, who put up a tree two weeks before Thanksgiving because she told me that she really wanted to feel joy and she didn't want to wait. And so she went right to Christmas and she skipped over, she even skipped over Thanksgiving. She skipped over Thanksgiving and Advent because in her life she wanted joy and she wanted it now. She didn't want to anticipate or wait. She went right for the goods. We're going to put up the tree now. But when we come to church in Advent, we hear that Advent can't be skipped and that it requires something of us. Last week we had end of the world talk. Next week we have more John the Baptist and it's not really easy stuff. And the second thought I have this time of year with this passage is really more of a question. Why on earth were people drawn to John the Baptist, who is screaming at people out in the wilderness, calling some broods of vipers and urging them to repent? Why on earth was all of Judea flocking to John the Baptist? We can look back on this passage and we can say, well, you know, when we're reading it today, we can say, well, all of that happened in the past and he's talking to all of those people, not us. But if the gospels are to be relevant, we must not look back solely at the past. We have to insert ourselves into the stories and hear what they are saying for us today. And you know, it's difficult to look at our past. It's, it's difficult to look at our Advent past because, you know, the world has changed. The world has gone through so many changes in the last two and a half years. I know that we've all, in our lives, in our work, uh, if we have children, uh, school, everything has changed, right? So, Advent is a time. It's a time to look at the past and be informed by the past, but it's also very much a time of the present moment as we wait for the future. So what do I mean by all of that? We are comforted by our past memories. That is certain. A Christmas tree that we want to bring us joy is just an example. So, we reach for that, or we expect the bits that will take us to the place of comfort and stability. But we are also asked to have a period of waiting, a period of reflection, to be in this time of waiting where the unknown has not yet come, but will come. There might be something surprising in the future that you don't even know about. So there's a tension there, right? So to be led to a future that we we learned about last week, if you remember the gospel reading last week, that we can't know yet. We don't know what's going to happen. To trust in that future experience, to trust that there might just be something new that we don't expect that there is value in this time of in between in this time of waiting that sometimes we can't just skip over it so john the baptist is preaching something new that is certainly situated in scriptures of the past he's quoting isaiah the prophet of I- prophet isaiah the past gives him an idea of what to expect And the future of what this means though is unknown. It's unknown. So what John the Baptist is doing is he is saying that what matters is what we do in this moment. And this moment requires examination of ourselves so that we can more fully see this wonderful thing that is about to happen. In many respects, it will square with the scripture of the past of what the Messiah is thought to be. But as we know, with the birth of of Jesus, this babe lying in a manger, it will be so different from what is expected that it is going to require an openness that many in John's world just didn't have yet. Yet. So John is telling us to prepare ourselves, prepare the way. In many respects, John the Baptist was that something new and unexpected. He was the harbinger to lead a people into a new journey because God was going to do something new. Jesus will be born, and with that expression of God with us, the world was going to shift. And John the Baptist is saying that we need to be able to be prepared in order to move with that shift. So I've been thinking about how things have shifted, um, especially you know, after, hearing a, 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 after COVID, right? After hearing about a study that was done in the last few years. Um, and originally this study was uh, done on the teenage brain, and they started it before the COVID lockdown, and I don't know what the purpose of this experiment was or what this study was. But they, they continued this study throughout the lockdown and then afterwards. And they, they looked at how the lockdown affected young people in particular, and not just about depression and anxiety and social problems that being isolated caused, because we read a lot about uh, that now. but. Um, This study was an MRI study of of teenage young people's brains and actually um, what it showed was that after the lockdown, the MRI scans of teens showed that the brains of these young people aged by three years. They could see that in the MRI. Also, the parts of the brain that are responsible for executive function and anxiety and mood and memories and depression were all affected as well. So the study's conclusion is that there's no way to know how this three-year aging of the brain will affect kids in the future. Um, It is something that they know is caused by stress and anxiety. And the article called for there to be more resources put into mental health because the effects will continue to be revealed as time goes on. But what this study does show us is that we are not the same as we were before, and not everything can be the same as it was before in total. Sure, some things have bounced back, and and we've tried to do everything the same again, but attitudes have changed Anxiety and stress has changed the world, and as we see in this study, even in physical ways, what this also means is that how we think about raising children or grandchildren is going to be different than it has been in the past, and what do we need to know? What do we need to know about that? And in general, how we treat others and how we treat ourselves may have to be different Two, past methods may have to be altered. So why do I bring this up? Because John the Baptist knows that there is going to be a cosmic shift, and he's trying to prepare people for it. He tells the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they can't rely on what they've been doing. They can't rely on simply being the children of Abraham. He says, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. That's not enough. It's not going to be enough anymore anymore. Because if they just rely on this, they will not see what it is that God is doing that is so new, you can't even imagine. The way to open your eyes, according to John the Baptist, is to prepare yourself. And you prepare yourself through repentance. Now, that is a scary churchy word, repentance. Evoking people on the street corner with signs that say you're going to go to hell or you're going to repent. If you don't repent, you're going to die. All this kind of stuff, you know, pointing their finger at you. But that is not what I'm talking about. Repentance is not a scary word. Repentance means that we prepare the way by cleaning out the cobwebs and making the path for God accessible. Now, I don't know if you remember or if you were here a few weeks ago for Christ the King Sunday, I talked about what Advent meant and where Advent came from. It comes from the Latin word adventus, which was a great occasion when a king or an emperor would come through your village or town, and people waited with great expectation. They waited for this procession to come through. Well, think about it. If there isn't a straight, accessible path, Then the king or the emperor can't get through, and they might just bypass your town or your village. So you better get all those tumbleweeds out of the way, right? Get all of the branches that are falling on the path. Get those out of the way. Make the path straight. Make it accessible. Clean out the junk that is getting in the way. Now, making a path straight can be interpreted in different ways. Maybe it means truthful clear away the lies that bind you in unhealthy ways. Maybe it means forgiveness. Is there someone you need to forgive? Or do you need to seek forgiveness from someone? Maybe it means courage. Is there something you need to do but you're afraid? Maybe it means humility. Is there arrogance or pride or some other thing that is blocking the way, keeping you from being open to something new? Whatever it is, The repentance that John the Baptist is talking about is making room for a new relationship with God. Now, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, Um, They had a whole system. They had a whole system down. They had it all down for worship, what you're supposed to do, for the interpretation of the laws, for punishment. You know, they saw the law as the hand of God, and they were there to see that all was done correctly and all was done as it should be. What John the Baptist is trying to tell them is that they can't rely on that anymore there will be new interpretations coming as to what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of god is going to require and it's going to come in ways that you don't even know you don't even know now i just want to say that i want i want to be clear about something i'm not saying at all that covid was from god getting us to do a new thing that is absolutely not what i'm saying at all it was not a punishment or a judgment but it did happen, and we've been changed. Mentally, maybe even physically, and this means we now must look at how we've changed, because maybe our repentance this Advent, our searching for this new relationship with God is going to be different. It's going to be changed. It might be something that we don't even know what that is. Maybe it's going to look different, and maybe it means how God may enter into our lives might look different from what we expect. So I don't disparage uh, my friend at all for putting up her tree early. I went over and I celebrated with her as she turned on the lights and had the fireplace going and everything like that. We all need to do what we need to do to keep ourselves sane at times. But there's something to be said about the hope that can be experienced in the waiting, the hope that can be experienced before the joy, that it just may be that the journey through hope will make the joy that comes all the more precious and remarkable. Now remember I said at the beginning of my sermon that I had two thoughts about this gospel reading and the second one was a question The question is, you know, I wondered why people flocked to John the Baptist. Why were they willing to be baptized by him, especially because he didn't appear to be a very welcoming person? Well, I believe it's because they recognized the need for transcendence in their lives, that need to connect to this God who is unknowable and mysterious and glorious because just saying that they were ancestors of Abraham wasn't enough anymore. And they were willing to wait with great anticipation for the one who would come. And it was this state of hopefulness and anticipation that was going to be part of the transformation that was gonna come in the future. This state of hopefulness was going to inform how they were gonna make that path straight, living in a state of hope before the joy, preparing the way as part of the journey, hoping for the one that was going to baptize them with the Holy Spirit into something new and into hearing something new. As Paul says in Romans today, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.